welcome to this bonus summer episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and for this episode, I'm joined by my dear friend, writer and thinker, Marcy Elvis Walker. Marcy's the creator of the popular IG account and blog, Black Coffee with White Friends. Marcy is also the creator of Mockingbird History Lessons for Adults, where she shares the missing narratives of history. And her most recent project, Black Eyed Bible Study, where Marcy dives deeper into the Bible from a woman's perspective. Marcy's also become a regular on this podcast, and she was a guest nearly two years ago. She's truly one of my favorite humans to have thought-provoking conversations with, because she doesn't shy away from the truth, and she challenges all of us to think at a deeper level. So, I could think of no better person to talk to about the hot topic of critical race theory. If you're paying attention at all, you're sure to have seen CRT in the news for the last several months. It continues to be a hot topic, especially at school board meetings, where many parents are very vocally objecting the possibility of it being taught to their children. So in this episode, Marcy and I discuss all things CRT and more. We try to clarify what exactly is CRT, why is this theory that's been around for years even at the forefront right now, why are some parents so opposed to schools teaching it? Then we go over some common objections and misconceptions about it. And finally, we dive into a little bit of theology and why some Christians are so vocally opposed to it. Pull up a seat, grab a cup of coffee as Marcy and I talk about critical race theory. Thank you for joining me today again on the Her Story Speaks podcast, Marcy. I'm always thrilled to see your face and to be here and um, it's it's a second home for me, I guess. It's, it's it's a place where I feel very comfortable, and that's because of you. I really mean that. Well, thank you for that. And you know, I just felt like I wasn't really ruffling enough feathers lately, so <laughs> I thought, Marcy, come on, let's talk about something that's not controversial at all. <laughs> so Marcy's here today because we're going to talk all things or as many all things as we can about. CRT, critical race theory. Marcy, before we do, just give a really quick introduction. I don't want to just skip over that, assuming that everybody knows you, but for those that don't, just give a real quick introduction. Yeah. Um, My name is Marcy Alice Walker. I am a writer and I started posting a blog a few years back called Black Coffee White Friends. And that blog also is now an Instagram feed. It's probably more Instagram feed than it is blog. And out of that community there in Instagram, I created a Patreon community called Blackbird History Lessons for Adult because I realized that a lot of Mockingbird, that's what it is. Mockingbird. (laughs) Um, Y'all, I do a lot of things. You do. I got you. You're getting them all mushed together. (laughs) Do a lot of things. But, um, you know, my passion in a nutshell is history. How did we get here? How do we get ourselves to a better place? And also how that impacts our children and what what is the responsibility of the church and people who declare a faith that is embedded in the story and ministry of Jesus. So that's basically in a nutshell what I do. And and, and actually, although Mockingbird History Lessons for Adults is part of what I do, mostly my work is Black Black History of White Friends. Um, And I just recently started a Bible study sort of camp group. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's a lot of different things to talk about the Bible from a Black womanist perspective. Um, 
because I think, and not because I think that that's the better perspective. I just feel like it's the perspective that I come to the Bible with. And I feel like so often the only perspective that we hear of the Bible is pretty white, pretty male, um, and pretty traditional. So we miss a lot of nuance in the Bible. We miss a lot of other perspectives of seeing Jesus. And we miss the arm, the, the leg, the pinky finger. We miss all these different parts of the the image of God in our country and in the world. So I think it's really important that we embrace all narratives. And we haven't really done a really good job of that in the church. At the end of our episode, Marcy, we'll talk about a little bit more about those things and what's next for Black Eyed Study, Bible Study and Mockingbird and where folks can sign up because there's lots in that. There's a weekly email, book club, all that. So we'll talk about that at the end and where folks can go. Um, But with all of that, That's exactly why I wanted to talk to you today, because I know you have a passion for real, true history, for teaching our children, for the ramifications, for all of these things. And a big hot topic right now, obviously, within that history realm and the church is CRT. Before we dive into that, something I just wanted to bring up, though. So you were first on my podcast November of 2019 and then been here several other times. One of my most listened to episodes was the episode we recorded May, May 28th of 2020. So just a little over a year ago three Mm -hmm. days after George Floyd's murder. Mm -hmm. So it's not lost on me that that was the most listened to episode over 9,000 downloads because mostly white people, they were my listeners. They were all thinking they cared and were being woke and whatever, wanted to learn and listen. But now a year later, we have CRT at the forefront and mostly white people are who's speaking out against it. So the comparison, the, (laughs) I don't know what the word is. I just find it really interesting, but perhaps not surprising. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not surprising, but what I, what I will say is that it's not just white communities who have right. forgotten why we came together for George Floyd. It's all communities. Um, it's not just white communities that have forgotten what, what happened during this pandemic and the lives that were lost. It's, it's yeah. all communities and all communities that have access to buying our way out of truth. Mm-hmm. I'll put it like that. We bought our way out of truth. We bought the books. We signed up for the classes. We watched the movies, we did the thing, and now we just want to get back to our lives. And I think it would be a terrible discredit to just lay that at the feet of white people and say, it's your your problem. I, I see this in all communities. And I live in a pretty diverse area of the country. I live in Hyde Park in Chicago, which is a neighborhood that is intentionally diverse. Just so y'all know, it's where Michelle and Barack Obama had a home and still have a home here. There's a socioeconomic economic diversity that's happening here and age diversity that's happening here because there's a university, but there's also a lot of elderly people who live in this community. But I can honestly say, I think the reasonings might be different. I think for a lot of Black people, a lot of Black people and a lot of um, Asian people, there are a lot of Asian people in my community. It's fatigue. We're just tired. We're traumatized. 2020 was the height. I mean, we lived under an oppressive system for all those years that Trump was in office. And then we get to 2020 and it it just everything came unhinged. There was so much death and loss and microaggressions. And, and that's from our own homes. Like we were just at home <laughs> receiving yeah, all of this, yeah. not even being out in the world. And so I think for us, I, I, you know, I, I can't speak for every black person because we are not a monolith, but I can say that 
the general feeling that I see if you scroll online is that a lot of Black people are like, I just need to take care of myself right now. I just need to focus on me right now. I just need a break right now. I just need to get back to who I am. I cannot carry this anymore. And that's real. I just saw a post the other day by Dom- Dominic Guillard, who's an African-American Christian leader and yes. Um, justice within the legal system. And he posted how they just did this, he just read the study of the autopsy of Dr. Martin Luther King. And it said that this man died in his thirties, but his heart, he had the heart of a 60 year old because of the trauma, the stress, the life that he lived was much more weight on it than that of what a 30 something year old young man should have. And I think that a lot of black people are saying, you know, man, I've got, and I think a lot of Asian communities saying, I got to take care of my parents. My my parents' generation has been attacked and I've got to make sure that my children are going to be okay with this next generation coming. So I feel that there are all these, and then we have the LBGTQIA community who have their own wear and tear from this whole system that's been going on. They're worried about the laws that are being passed against trans trans identity in communities, and they're worried about the laws that might be undone, that have been done for their protection and for their legal rights to exist as families and loved ones and, you know, um, and, uh, and marriage unions. So there's just a lot happening that's been overwhelmingly stressful and exhausting. So I think there's exhaustion there. But I also think with white communities, I think people want to do more, but they're overwhelmed. And I, I so understand that. I I am overwhelmed when I think about Native American communities. And when I think about oh, the indigenous absolutely. communities and who have gone, who have been hit so hard by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And what do we do with um, our visa, how do we get resources to them? I'm overwhelmed by what's happening in the world in Myanmar. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And so when you become overwhelmed and you've already given your money and you've already read the book and you've already followed the people, I totally understand that. Then you're just like, well, I don't know what more I can do. So I, if you are that person feeling that, I, I get it. I get it. Um, And all I can say to you is that the thing that I found most reassuring is this practice of meditating on the fact that I am not the savior of anyone. And my dollars don't fix problems. My dollars, you know, my donations show a collective support. I'm putting I'm voting in a sense when I when I donate to this cause, along with a lot of other people who are donating. Right. And that I can listen and that I can like and that I can um, say to the person who is telling me about Myanmar um, and what she's going through. And I can say, I hear you. She doesn't think that I can fix it. So why do I think that I can fix it? She knows I can't fix it. But One of the things that she taught me was that awareness brings attention. Our awareness brings attention to leaders. And when leaders know that we're aware, that motivates them to act. So my thing that I would say to you, if you're feeling fatigued by all this, if you're feeling overwhelmed, is just stay aware, you know, (laughs) keep your awareness, keep liking, keep donating, keep supporting, because keep buying the books. I don't care that you don't read them. I would love that everyone read all the books that are out there, 
But when we buy the books, then there'll be more books published. But if we stop seeing the movies, we stop buying the books, we stop doing the donating because we don't see change, then that tells publishing houses, that tells government officials, that tells movie makers that we don't care. And so I, if I can urge anything, I'm like, don't take the time that you need, but don't stop committing in, in small ways because those small things add up. Right. That's good. I appreciate all of that because it does get overwhelming. You can sometimes just want to be done with all of it and thinking it's not making a difference. So what you said is just very wise. And part of that overwhelmingness, I guess, is CRT coming on the scene and the controversy about that. I want to get into the objections of it and kind of go through some of those um, later in the episode. But I want to start out talking about what it actually is, because one of the things you just said was about awareness. And I don't think most people actually know what it is. You and I had a conversation about that, but, and I thought I knew pretty much what it was, but kind of spent the weekend reading a lot. And my mind is even more blown. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this totally makes sense. And how could you just be so outraged against it? But I think we need to talk about just exactly what it is. Um, To start with though, I want to say, at least for me, I had no idea what it was. I'm I admit that until Trump mentioned it in September of 2020, I hadn't even heard the word. So, and that's somebody that has read a lot. So I think I maybe vaguely kind of know. And I remember asking Grace, like, what is that even? So September, 2020, President Trump issued his executive order excluding from federal contracts, any diversity and inclusion training interpreted as containing quote, divisive concepts, race or sex stereotyping or race or sex scapegoating. Among the content considered divisive was critical race theory. And at that time over 300 diversity inclusion trainings were canceled as a result of the order. And then civil rights organizations and allies came forward and rejecting all that. So that's kind of how it came on the scene. And then Mm -hmm. I think in my opinion, you can tell me, but why we have so many white people, Christian fundamentalists, right-wing religious being in an uproar about it because it really started in the 70s and 80s um, and it was part of law school training. So it's like, you would think we're just, it's just a teaching of like the devil or something. I don't know. So do you, I mean, I know what it is. I have a lot of things written out what it is. Do you want to say in a nutshell what, how you're interpreting what it is? What, what is CRT? Or you can talk about what I just spoke about the. Yeah. I think the one thing that we have to note is that we have to look at the source. (laughs) Right. right, Um, right. And we have to keep in mind that president Trump is also the same president who did not know that Frederick Douglass was dead. Okay. So this is not a man who's bright and you can say what you want and you can support him all you want. But the fact remains, this is not a bright man. This is not a well-read man. And he has even said on the record that he's, he's not a big reader. He's not, you know, this is not someone who's watching documentaries or this is someone who watches Fox News, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and some sort of blood sport fight movie that he likes to watch over and over and over again, right? There's not a man who's reading books. This is not a man who... Um, has an interest in how systems are constructed. This is a man who is about winning. He is about doing a deal. Um, And most of the deals he he does aren't successful. So, and it's not all of them. That's most of them. 
and you can bring me the five that were great, but there'll be a whole slew more that weren't. And this is how documented. So, and one of the things, the tactics that President Trump is most, was most concerned with at the time of his presidency, former President Trump was most concerned with was his ratings. Like how, what's he doing in the polls? Did people like him? And there's even like a video of him saying, why don't you white women like me? Why don't suburban white women like me? So like, he's very concerned about how he looks, his ratings, because he's a reality TV star, y'all. I'm just right. And within that asking about, yeah. And that reminds me within that asking, why don't white women like me? He said, I'm keeping your neighborhood safe, which I'm keeping your neighborhood safe. So he, he's not someone who is saying this because he's done some deep dive. Right. If you, if someone would have asked him that day, what is critical race theory? He wouldn't have been able to tell them. Right. Right. Um, and he probably still can't today. So I just think we have to just take that into, into fact. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So why critical race theory exists is to teach students how to look at the law in law school or people who are doing public, getting a master's in human services or people who are working in social institutions. This is something that applied to law. It was used to help students to be able to teach how a law might be different depending on the color of your skin. And here's a great example from the new Jim Crow book. And it's such a poignant one. If your teenager has a party in a white suburban neighborhood and drugs are found, right? And, and, And the neighbors call and say, Timmy Tucker is having a party. His parents aren't here and we can't sleep and we want you to go shut it down. All those kids aren't rounded up and put in the jail for possession of a joint, for possession of Molly, for possession of ecstasy, for possession of cocaine, for possession of alcohol under the age. And Timmy Tucker's parents aren't implicated in that. The party shut down, the kids go home, The cops tell Timmy Tucker, get his stuff together, clean your parents' apartment or, you know, fancy condo or fancy home up, and they keep rolling. But if that's on that same night in a whole different part of town, there's the same kids, but they're all Black in a Black community in the inner city, and they're having a party, and someone calls the cops. Usually no one has to call the cops because the cops are already patrolling, right? And the cops see that there's a party going on and they go in there and they raid it like it's a drug bus. And the kid who has the weed goes to jail. That's on his his record. The girl who was with him in the car goes to jail. You know, there's this whole thing that happens. And so what critical race theory does is looks at a law and says, okay, How does this law apply to race? It's critical thinking about our legal system and justice, right? It's nothing that any historian was using because it was for the legal system, which is entirely different than critically thinking about race is not critical race theory. Critically thinking about race as it applies in religion, as it applies in history, we don't have a system for that. Like if you go, there are books that have been written. There's a whole, like just with the the scientific method, um, 
there's a whole method of how they're going to study. The first things that they're going to look at and the th next thing they're going to look at doing that kind of work where that would be relevant. So he heard it's critical race theory and he thought, oh, that's criticizing the white race. I don't know how he went from there to there, but that's what he did. And so the word race to him, someone who's been accused of being a racist throughout his whole political and also celebrity life, if it would have been critical sex theory, he would have been the same way because he's also been accused of being a misogynist and a sexual assaulter. So for him, it triggered, this is where they're going to, they're coming in and they're saying, that I'm bad or we're bad. And that's not at all what it is. What it is, it's saying, okay, if we pass this law in Congress, how does this affect communities of color? How does this affect Native Americans, Black people, people who are at the margin racially? How does it affect them? Does this law make it impossible for them to have the American dream of the Constitution, basically? And so the trainings that were happening were equity training just to be able to say, okay, how do we make our constitution and our laws and our um, bills that we pass all more equitable? And yet that's not what Trump wanted. He doesn't want an equitable society. He wants an equal society. And what an equal society does is it says that if you haven't made it, that is on you. It's got nothing to do with the government. It's got nothing to do with history. If you are a kid in the projects who didn't make it out of the projects, that's just because you didn't work hard enough. And what it allows him to be able to say is that I worked hard for what I got, which we all know is a lie. He was, he, he inherited money. He's raised them well. So that's the problem with having someone who's uneducated start a war with something that he has no understanding of. And right. then have his cronies jump on Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity jump on, and then Pat Robinson, Rob Robertson, and then all these other people jump bring on. Religion. And yeah. then they bring it to, then all of a sudden it becomes communist yeah. and all this stuff. And it all was triggered for him because someone told him about the 1619 project. That's what I was going to say. That was in the same vein of his, of his speech on that and the 1619 project. And I will say going back to that CRT does challenge white privilege and that's triggering for a lot of uh, white people or Trump supporters or religious white, right? Well, I, York, I, I would say CRT doesn't trust. It doesn't challenge anyone on a personal level right. challenges the legal systems that allow for privilege in certain communities and oppression in others. Right. And we, it is it both, looking at systems. Yeah. It's not looking yeah. at individuals. It's, looking at systems. it's not looking at individuals. The Daily did a great episode on yes, CRT about the relationship. I'll put a link between that because it really talks about how it became a thing, starting with Trump and exploded to why there's so many vocal uh, people opposed to it. Going back to the law framework. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read because I don't want to say, I'm going to read actual things from the American yeah. Bar, Bar Association website exactly. because there is some great information there. I did a lot of reading last night. So I'm going to tell you the, the few main tenants that the American Bar Association has on their website that are about CRT. And again, CRT generally is the relationship or the framework between the legal, legal system and society at large and sees the links between race, gender, sexual orientation, and class. So we're looking at exactly. big systems, systemic big racism, systems. Yes. not individual. So going back to the main tenants on the American Bar Association website, one, 
Recognition that race is not biologically real, but is socially constructed and socially significant. Two, acknowledgement that racism is a normal feature of society and is embedded within systems and institutions like the legal system that replicate racial inequality. CRT recognizes that racism is codified in law, embedded in structures, and woven into public policy. It rejects the claims of, quote, colorblindness. And then finally, the main thing, recognition of the relevance of people's everyday lives to the scholarship includes embracing the lived experiences of people of color. So- I mean, I don't have problems with those things, but I can see why certain people might. I mean, what what are your thoughts when you hear that, Marcy? Well, my first thought is when people say, okay, one of the things that the Tucker Carlson's of the world are saying is that if race is not a thing and it's socially constructed, then why do we need to look at it at all, right? And to that, I say, you know what? That would be the equivalent of saying, well, if God didn't create sexual abuse, why do we need to look at sexual abuse at all, right? right? If that wasn't God's intention, if God didn't intend for us to be sexually um, abusive, then God doesn't want us to look at it or study it or figure out why it's happening, right? And that's like ludicrous for us to think. That's absolutely ludicrous. Just because it's not something that's natural. And that's all that it means. It means that we aren't born waking up and going, that's a white person, that's a black person. (laughs) That's just not the way we are born. But what they're saying is that because of the way that we have set up our society on race, even though we're not born into a sense of good and bad when it comes to race, we do have a sense of good and bad. And because society has added this layer of race as one of the ways that we decipher what is good and bad, we have to address it. So a child doesn't come into the world knowing that this black person is evil. If a a black mother is nursing a, a white baby, that baby isn't thinking, I prefer a white mother or vice versa. Right. But the problem becomes when we don't address race is that that kid then never meets anyone who's black or Asian or or they meet very few. Right. And the majority of their world, and we're talking about a white child in this case, if the majority of their world is all white people and all the white people around them are relatively sustained with a home, um, with a job, with cars, with those are the people who are your doctors. Those are your teachers. Those are the public officials that you see. That's who the president looks like. The children just automatically, because of the way our society, the systems are in our society, they automatically start to believe a false narrative, a myth that whiteness means that's who's in control, that's who's the boss, that's who's owns houses. And all the Black people or all the Asian people, all the Hispanic people I see are the busers, are the bus drivers, are the um, the one family down the block who who's like us, but they're not like the rappers that I see on the TV or the ones that my parents watch on the news being arrested. Okay, Mm -hmm. And it works equally in the same way for a black child. So if you're a black child and you grow up in an all black environment, but where everyone has struggled, let's just say for you, everyone has struggled, even if the struggle is getting their Ph.D., they've struggled to get it It has not been handed to them. Um, 
there's very little home ownership and the, with the people that you know, you, your parents may have made it, but your cousins, your cousins, or they're doing much worse. Your grandparents may not have been educated or your great grandparents haven't been educated. And then when you look into the world and the whole cast of a show, a Disney show, they're all white and they're all doing well. Mm -hmm. The president as well, the, the is white, the congressmen are white, the, teachers are white. Everyone in authority above you is white. That gives you a different narrative. And you can go through this in all communities. Right. So children will make up their own narrative on what is good and what is bad. And there are studies that have been done. The doll test still is relevant and people have done it recently. And kids still would choose that the black doll is the bad doll. The darker the doll, the, the yeah. worse that doll is. Yeah. And the white babies are the nice, good kids the white baby dolls. So that's not something that the child came into the world born with. And that's what that first statement and the CRT thing, it's not something that is natural to who we are. It's right. not real. It's not something that is actually true, right? There aren't people who are born bad and therefore they have dark skin and people who are born good and therefore they have light skin. That's just not true. Right. But what they'll say is, well, there must be something wrong with black people because this is what I see in the world. Or there must be mm -hmm. something wrong with Hispanic mm -hmm. people. There must be something wrong with people who don't speak English. Or there must be something wrong with people who are gay because they're not married or they're this or they're that. So we do have this problem with race that... There are people in power who want to say that it doesn't exist, therefore it's not a problem and we shouldn't talk about it. And right. then, can I interject yeah. real quick with that, Marcia? Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm going to bring up one thing. Well, so, so many thoughts I keep having run through my mind, but I'm sorry to interrupt you with that. I mean, our country was built on that construct and the caste system. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've read the book cast, a book mm -hmm. that I'm also reading lately. One dropped. Have you, did you read yeah. this? Do you have this? Yeah, I, I haven't. I, um, I love her. That's Dr. Yaba Blay, right? Blay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You said I love her podcast her. or her, that episode. So yeah, that was part of my reading this weekend. And I'm like, this is what we set up racist. We don't want intermarriage. We want this caste system or white. I mean, we set it up. And so to think that doesn't play through every fabric of our society still is just kind of ludicrous to me. So that's a book I encourage people. The other thing with what you're saying and part of reading more about critical race theory, I mean, Brown versus Brown versus as the Board of Education really made that clear that just changing one law doesn't imply or doesn't result in integration no. and education equality. I mean, and that was right. the, that was when critical race theory really started being like, you know what, exactly. there's, there's more going on here because changing one law is not solving all of these problems. So absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought up Brown versus the board because that really is what CRT, CRT is looking at things like that. Yes. And in our legal system, like um, it would look at the 13th um, amendment and how we have such a higher rate of incarceration of black men, black young men in particular, it's increasing for women, but black young men in particular compared to white men in the same age category for the same crimes. Like I said, it's going to be perceived differently what the threat is of a 16 year old who has a nickel bag of weed on him mm -hmm. and Tyler, blue eyed, floppy haired Tyler, who also has really? a nickel bag 
a we, but you also have a home and a dad who's a lawyer. It's, it's, it definitely changes how we perceive crime, how we perceive criminals and how we criminalize and how we pursue justice for some and not for all. And you mentioned I the Jim Crow book. That one is so good. Yeah. Um, get diving into what you talked yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that if a white man had come into the store that day and passed a $20 bill that was counterfeit, that it would land, it would have ended the same way. I believe the benefit of a doubt would have been given that, oh, someone passed him the $20 counterfeit bill and maybe he didn't know and there would have been more conversation and the cops wouldn't have been immediately called on something like that. And I believe that wholeheartedly because I've experienced that kind of a thing wholeheartedly. So, and it's the same thing with housing. It's, it's, um, there were all these laws put in place for housing and the color of law is a really good book for that. No, I, that was so. too, Marcy. no, I mean, it is yeah. it's like, once you dive yeah. into all these, it's like, yeah. So there's the color yeah. of law and Nicole Hannah um, Jones. And this is the thing that you need to know about her, the creator of the 1619 project. She didn't just create the 1619 project out of a box. This is someone who had spent years It's still spending years doing research on the legal system and the laws that were passed after the Civil Rights Acts of 1965 and Brown versus the Board of Education, all that, and how we are still so segregated in our communities. So she had been doing that work and had already been an award-winning journalist before that. So she was already well-regarded in her field and well-received by other journalists. It wasn't until she applied her journalistic skills to our nation. And she didn't do the 1619 Project just out of the blue. It was the anniversary of us arriving here. It was a significant time. And that looking at, okay, all this time has passed since the, since 1619, and we still have this, all these racial injustices. And so I would say to someone who's still like skeptical of race, whether we should be talking about it or not. I always say, well, look at your community. Is it integrated? And when I say integrated, I don't mean that you got one Indian guy at the end of the corner and one black guy who's your neighbor and there's a Hispanic couple across the street. I mean, is it truly integrated, not just racially, but also but also um, socioeconomically. And when I say diverse, you will know that your life is truly diverse when not only is your neighborhood diverse, but the services that you use in order to live your life are also diverse, equally diverse. Meaning that your doctors, your lawyers, your therapists, all that stuff, that that is just as diverse as your community. The, The kind of segregated communities that we still have where... Yes, we're integrated in a lot of ways and no one's saying that it's not better. But what we're saying is that there's still work to do and it would it would be very unresponsible of us to just say we're done. Stop talking about race, which is something I hear. Why do you talk about race so much? I'm like, because I'm a black woman. What mm-hmm. what else do you need to know? Right. You know? Yeah. And I'm raising a black woman. And you know, for Christians out there, I was thinking about this this morning, having this conversation with my husband. It's like critical race theory or critical thinking, which is mostly what what they're against. They're against critical thinking. They're really not against critical race theory because they don't really understand what that is. And it's not something that would touch everyday life. They're against 
critically thinking about history, critically thinking about equity, and critically thinking about access for, for certain communities. And that's different because what they want to say is that, well, what we don't want is for white people to feel bad. And I'm like, the last time that white people didn't feel bad, they went and got a bunch of people from another country and put them in chains and put them in their yards to do their work. So I think white people should really welcome feeling bad and conviction and, con- and, and contrition. Mm-hmm. And the Bible totally teaches us that we need to definitely be open to feeling bad, not shame, but feeling convicted. Right. So that we can change our minds so that we can repent. We can't do it if you never feel bad. Circle back to what you're just talking about with the church, Christians. The verse that I've had quoted at me is, of course, about Paul saying there's no black or white, male or female. We're all one in Christ. And the CRT is dividing us and pointing out our differences. And so what do you think about that? I know we both have wrestled with Paul. (laughs) Go for it with this one. I actually did a Bible study on this, a Bible study Mm -hmm. lesson on this. And let me tell you, you did. So it's everything. It's everything. And when people quote that at me, I'm like, you have no idea what that scripture means, why Paul said it, who he said it to. And what was the context of that? First of all, he was talking about hierarchy. He was saying there is no hierarchy. No one has more access to God or less access to God because of their race or not race, because race was not a thing back then. You have to think about that. He's not talking. And that's why we know that we need to teach more about biblical history. When that word slave is used, American minds automatically go to Harriet Tubman and Fields. Paul would have no concept of that. The slaves that Paul was seeing would have been all different walks of life. It wouldn't have just been Black people. There was no race then, none in the Bible. That was something created much later by a white man, much, much later, far, far, long past. Paul was long gone and dead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When Paul was talking about there's neither slave nor free, he is talking about the fact that There was a a church and they were saying that in order to get to God, in order to be included in this community of of Christ Christians or whatever they were calling themselves back then, again, they weren't calling themselves Christians. You guys just need to know that that was not a word that they had back then. I think they were calling it, if if there's a way to interpret it, they probably would have said the way or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was not, they were not trying to start a religion. They were trying to expand and continue the Jewish religion. So what he was saying to these Jews was that you no longer need, if a Gentile comes into this, they do not need to go back and become Jewish in order to then become a son or daughter or a person of God. What he was saying is that it doesn't matter if you started your faith or your belief of the nature of Jesus and Jesus as Messiah, it doesn't matter if you were Jewish or not when you came to this. It doesn't matter. And that was the other thing. Some of the slaves that they had then were teachers. They're what we would call a personal nanny, a personal tutor. 
for a home. So there were people enslaved. And when they use the word enslaved, all that means is this is someone who's indebted to you. Their work is indebted to you. So when we come to Jesus and his ministry, he speaks out against all those atrocities of power, of systems of keeping people below. He's saying we can do this by seeing the Mago Day, the beauty of God in every single creation. And then he is put to death for that, for saying that. He's not put to death by the Romans. Like people once say it was the Romans. And he's not put to death by the Jews. There were plenty of Jews who loved Jesus. He was put to death by the religious people in power. So there's all this that's happening. And then when Paul comes along and he says, I'm going to go out and get a Saul. He says, I'm going to go out kill all these people who are still causing trouble. And he has this encounter with Jesus and it changes everything for him. And he has sent out two non-Jews to preach the good news. And it can only be good news if it's for everyone. Yes. Can't be good news, which is for some of us. What he's saying in that, the slaves that he's talking about, he's talking about those kinds of slaves. He's not talking about chattel slavery. He's not right. talking about America. And that's probably the problem. We read America so much into that Bible. America is not even a thing of that Bible. We are not in it. Yes. It's funny to me how people are just like, I never owned slaves. So why should, and my people never own slaves, but you have no problems owning this tech and everything in it and attributing it to to America. And it doesn't say a thing about America. Right. It's just not a thing. I mean, it's the whole Christian nationalism we're seeing at the forefront. Ridiculous. And so what Paul is saying is that there is no hierarchy. There's nothing that you, there is no, you need to become a this or that. God is not looking at us like that. God is not saying you are good because you're Jewish and circumcised. But you're not good because you're a non-Jew who's uncircumcised. It's neither being a person of means or not being a person of means. Right. It's not It's not someone who's orthodox or unorthodox. It's more of that and not about race or color. I mean, it's all about context for one. And so then two, I feel context. like it's such a comparison of apples to oranges here. I mean, Paul is not talking about the fairness of the legal system or just, I mean, he's talking about God's kingdom and the kingdom that we are all equals in demolishing that power structure. So I don't even think you can compare it. It's not our fault that we believe that. That was what, I'm sorry, y'all gonna be upset with me, but that's what the the Billy Grahams, the Cotton Mathers, the Jonathan Edwards, that's what they preach. And we have not, undone that. We have accepted that because we have this strange thing in America where we have a very hard time calling a spade a spade. So like what we'll do is we'll say, well, but it's Billy Graham. He's all good. Well, Billy Graham wasn't all good. Who is? Or it's Martin Luther King. He was a perfect man. Martin Luther King wasn't a perfect man. These are both people who have done great things and they also have done things that maybe weren't so great. And when I think of Dr. King, I'm thinking what he did or did doing his marriage. But I'm saying we have this black or white way of looking at things mm-hmm. and we, we really don't apply a lot of nuance or critical thinking. For sure. And yet we absolutely should. When we look at King David and we only see a hero, but we don't see a man who absolutely coerced and raped a woman, assaulted her, Bathsheba, that's a problem. We have a hard time with that because we're taught that there is good 
and there's evil and there's nothing else. Right. And that I think has been the greatest harm that we've done to ourselves as a faith community. We have so little room for questions or nuance. I want to keep talking about that, Marcy, but I'm going to move on. So right now where we see CRT is objections from parents that's being taught in schools. And you right. listen to that, that daily podcast where you heard the school right. board meetings and the irate parents. So I'm going to just go over some of the big objections and just to hear your comment or your, your thoughts on these. So one that I heard either on that or through other things is black children are going to be taught that they're relegated to the bottom tier of society. And they're just, the African-American community is just accepting the bigotry of low expectations. And that's what they are feeling from CRT. So what, what do you say to that? And I didn't give you this in advance. So if you, if yeah, you don't no, want to say, and, and I can skip and, them too. No, I can edit out and skip ones too. I, I, I don't want to skip it. I want to, I want to go to it. You know, it's, it's funny. I don't know if people realize this, but a similar thing was said when talk of integration first happened in schools. A very similar thing was said that Black children were going to feel less than and in a classroom full of white children who were smarter. And I think it's baloney because I've been that Black child in a classroom. And when you're hearing history, get this, when you're hearing history and you're being told George Washington was a great man, yes, he owned slaves, but he was good to him to them. And he was honest. He chopped down that cherry tree and he admitted that he was wrong. And then you're given the little scrap paper to make the little cherry tree, right? That's the thing that you're given. When you're a black child and you receive that lesson, it just feels like there's a missing part to the story. And as a kid, you can't necessarily dissect what that would be. But I think Jericho Brown, who's one of my favorite poets, wrote this beautiful article called Thrive, this essay called Thrive. And one of the things that he said that would just be really useful is that he grew up never hearing that slavery was a very bad thing. And I think that a Black child, in an, especially in an all-white classroom, would really benefit from a teacher who simply said, George Washington was a man who did a lot of great things. But however, just like all of us, he's human. And this is not a great thing that he did. He owned people and that was wrong. And it was a very bad thing. I think that's not about me. That's about George Washington. That's not about me and my blackness. That's about George Washington. And that's not about the children's whiteness in the room. It's about George Washington and his mistakes. But because we're so protective of these writers of the Constitution that we can't say a disparaging word against them, like there's some sort of blasphemy with that. We're not willing to say it. We allow them to become these flawed heroes. And then the children internalize that as well. If uh, what I see is that most of the white homes that I go into have more than my home, then that's going to be true for a lot of black children. It's not going to be true for all children. And you can go look at the stats. If a black doctor is making significantly less than a white doctor, which is still a thing, if more black men are being incarcerated than white men. Black children are going to notice that my white friends are having a different existence or a different reality than I'm having. And then if we don't explain why that reality is there, why that might be so, what we're telling our kids is that there's something really wrong with Black people, that Black people don't work hard enough, that Black people aren't that smart, that Black people can only be basketball players and football stars and rappers, yeah. and that we can only be the first and the only, which is no better. It bugs me that Ben Carson, 
is this heart surgeon, but he hasn't looked around to say, well, how many other black heart surgeons are there in comparison to white? And if the answer is because you worked hard, then what you're saying is that all these other black people just didn't want it, that we somehow don't want more, or that we are somehow left. And so you can't have it both ways. And so we have to be willing to teach our children. And we also have to be willing to help them to understand empathy. We don't have a problem teaching them about war. We don't have a problem teaching them about Satan. We don't have a problem with all these other things, but we have a problem teaching them that racism is wrong. The enslavement of people based on the color of their skin is wrong. Um, Keeping people from voting is wrong. And that we absolutely have a responsibility to not to make sure that that does not happen again. Right. And I think that's coming... That mindset is coming so much from people that still embrace the whole colorblindness thing. Right. And it's like, that is, so the other part of that would be parents. And those are some things I had thrown at me. They're not going to have their children, their white children being taught that they're racist. And and your white children should not be taught that you're racist. And that's not it. That's why it's important to know what this is because that's not what it is. And we should not be taught that our country is racist. You don't think that? Okay. Let me tell you why. Okay. Let me tell you why. Because it does no good. Okay. I know that that's true. The country, when we talk about the systems of this country, they're absolutely racist to their core. I've said it a million times. I've written it a million times. I've posted a million times. Okay. And what I've come to realize is that but people don't separate if they don't know that that there's a system, they take it that the country as a whole is racist. And it's like people, all the people in the country. And the people are in it are okay. racist. Gotcha. Okay. But, I gotcha. And I think that, that that doesn't get us anywhere. But what we can teach our kids is that our country has experienced great trauma. And the great trauma that the country has experienced started long before we became a country. And the reason why that's traumatic and that trauma still hurts us today is because it hurt its land and it hurt its people. And when you hurt land and you hurt people, those things tend to continue to hurt people and the land continues to hurt. And so when we teach in that way, rather than teaching, and it's and I really, I, I had this revelation listening to this book by Oprah and her doctor, Bruce, some uh, uh, psychologist who studies childhood trauma. Is that her it's new one? About, it's her called, new book? Yeah. Yeah. What happened to you? Yes. It's not about what we've done. If we can start to teach our kids to think, well, what happens? What yes. happens to this country? Well, colonial colonization happened to this country. And when colonization happened, that means that genocide happened. When genocide happened, that means that there's lots of rape and pillage and murder that happened. When we talk about chattel slavery, we say, what happened to this country? What happened to this country is that kidnapping happened, trafficking happened, um, the racer of um, language happened. All these things happened to this country. And when we look at it as a thing that's happened to this country, even though the country said that it wanted to be this, all these things happened to this country, then we can say, well, how do we heal what's happened? Yeah. Rather than white people are bad and black people are good and Asian, because that's not true. We're all human and we all have um, our blind spots, but we can actually then objectively look at it and say, right. okay, this is what has happened in this country. How have we healed it? 
Well, why haven't we held it? Why didn't that Band-Aid work? We put a Band-Aid on genocide and colonization. It's called treaties that we broke, and it's called um, reservations that aren't working. How do we heal that? Mm-hmm. that that's yeah. still an ailment in this country that still hasn't been healed. It's disease in which we still haven't vaccinated it right Mm -hmm. and fixed it or made it right look at what's happening with voter suppression and we think well what happened in this country and we think well we didn't allow black people to vote from the beginning even though they were actual citizens of this country Mm -hmm. even though they said that we weren't that they were actually contributing so how do we fix that well we fix the law so that so that that doesn't happen again right yeah But if we keep telling our kids that America is good and has always been good, we are feeding them a myth and we are feeding them a lie. Yeah. And that is basically like saying, okay, humanity never had a moment sin. There was never whatever, whatever you believe was our origin. It's like saying that that origin story had no consequences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we don't believe that as a Christian faith. We don't believe that. We believe that the origins of the original sin, that there's absolutely consequences to that. But when it comes to our history, we've said there's no origin to these problems. And I was listening to a podcast recently that really kind of disappointed me and i usually like this podcast it's called think and they were talking to a man who was a white leftist liberal that's how he described himself so this is someone who's who's not conservative who was saying that the problem with the 1619 project is that it talks about origin and we can't talk about origins when we talk about history and this is a white man saying that well as a I, i believe he's white but when you say that origin is a problem and that we shouldn't start our history talking about origin and original sin, what happens is that a lot of people who have or who are the, the legacy and the answer had ancestors who were brought over here, they have no origin story then. You've erased mm-hmm. it. You've basically mm-hmm. said, well, your being here isn't important to your, the, how your, your people came to be here isn't as important as the constitution or what we do now. And it's like, no, how my people came to be here absolutely is relevant. And we understand this when, when it comes to trauma on our own person. We now understand right. that when someone's gone through trauma, we have to go back to the original source in order to figure out how to heal the person. But we're not willing to do that in this country because we believe that this country was God's gift to the world. Right. And that lie has definitely discolored or tainted the the Imago Dei. And for you guys out there who are already saying in your heart, but America is the great white hope, it is the hope of, of the world. You were fed that. You were fed that by Billy Graham. He was the first one who put that out there saying that America was the great leader, the city on the hill, all of that. We didn't have this connection of church and state. Our founding fathers didn't, not founding fathers, I like to call them writers of the constitutions because the founders were the Native Americans and indigenous people who were already here. Mm -hmm. So when we have the writers of the constitutions writing it, they 
were very careful to not write religion into it. They made sure not to put it in there. They did not build this country uh, to be a Christian nation. They built this country to be free for anyone who wanted to come here and worship however they wanted to come. And that's why they came, you know? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. why they came over to this country so that they could worship without interference of the federal government. With that though, I mean, I feel like they really did, especially the first people here that slaughtered the Native Americans and indigenous people. I mean, they used their Christianity as a weapon and tool to base this country, wouldn't you think? Yes, like when you, when you talk about Puritans and pilgrims and yeah, all that, yeah. yes. But when you talk about the writers of the constitution, okay. these men were not, and people people who love to say George Washington was a great Christian, he was not. He wasn't yeah, then, a Christian. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Was, I see what you're saying. Neither was Jefferson. I think some of those people in that room had faith on their mind, but it wasn't what they thought. They they weren't, they didn't have faith on their mind because they wanted to build a Christian nation. They had faith on their mind, they wanted to protect the right to be a Christian in however way they wanted to be a Christian without right. the government's interference. Right. And that was what the country's built on, that in England, you couldn't worship the way that you wanted to. You had to like worship and use the Bible that they were giving and you had to worship and go to, that was the, the problem with the monarchy. That's why they came over. So then we have also the King James Bible, which comes from all of that. So there's all this stuff that's in the King James Bible that we've now translated that really wasn't even original to the Aramaic Hebrew language that we've boiled down to protect ourselves. And we've translated to protect ourselves. And it's problematic because the gospel that we now have only works if you are in a position of some kind of privilege. Lisa Sharon Harper has this beautiful example in her book, A Very Good Gospel. She could not arrive on the doorstep of her enslaved great, 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 great grandmother who worked in the big house, who was a house slave, who probably was being raped, probably being used to create more humans to be sold, to go to her and say, guess what? Jesus loves you and your sins are forgiven. How is that going to help her? How, how right. is that good news to her? Right. My sins are forgiven? What about the sins of this master? Oh, his right. sins are forgiven too? So our, both of our sins are just forgiven and I continue being a slave and he continues being master. Right. I mean, that's the, oh, so it's so ludicrous that we believe this and yet we have made it so that it only works for someone who's in a position to make real change in their life. It doesn't work for the oppressed. That's right, not a good right. message for someone right. who's oppressed. Right. It's, it's just coming isn't. from a very privileged position. And I think, yes. and you've said this before, like who's writing the history, who's interpreting yeah. the scripture and going back just a little bit, a couple of thoughts. Well, one with the history, indigenous people's history of the United States is probably one of the best history books I've read. I don't know if you've read that, but I highly mm -hmm. recommend. And that goes back to, yeah. Who, who's telling the history? What perspective are we coming from? Right. The other thought I had going back to, you know, the parents objecting that, oh, my white kids are going to think they're racist. And when you were talking, I'm thinking, you know what they're using as a white person. I'm thinking, I think they're using that kind of as a veil for their own feelings of like threatening their own white privilege or admitting their own wrong. Personally, yeah, that's you know how what? I'm thinking. Can I just say to that question, yeah. If that is the first thought that comes into your mind as a white person who's a parent, you just might have some 
race issues that you need to look at. Yeah. Because of that, your first thought is that I would rather my kids not know the fullness of this history. Yes. I don't want them to know about the Tulsa massacre because I don't want them to think they're racist. It's like, well, what else are you telling them in their home that would make them think that they're racist? Right. Or not telling them. I mean, really. And why are you so aligned with your whiteness that that's the only identity that they have? Right. Especially as a Christian, if you're saying that your identity is in Christ, you should have no worries of your child learning about the Tulsa massacres at the, at the right age. Right. Because that kid should be able to look at that and say, that's idol worship. That's supremacy. That's antichrist and not pro God. Right. Right. That is a slander against the Imago Dei. But if you as a white person, as a Christian, your first thought is, well, I don't want my kids to feel racist. It's like you're aligning with your whiteness more so than you are with the truth. Right. So you would rather keep the myth of that than to have the truth. And you know what? The Bible is very clear that we are to examine our hearts. We are to search our hearts. The whole Psalm 119 is about search me, find me. What what am I doing wrong? Show me how I can do better, right? But if we're saying that, nope, I'm going to rest right here on this half of scripture, neither slave nor Jew, that's all out of context and totally disrupts all the other things that Paul said that you need the hands, the feet, the legs, the heart, that we need all the parts. It just frustrates me so. And it's like, you probably are harboring some racist ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. And that's hard for a lot of white people to accept. And they're triggered by white privilege. Black people do it too. We do it too. Asian people do it too. We all are capable of believing that whiteness is better than all the other races. And your interview, your, or your um, Instagram live with Shay, where she was just telling, like she examined her own, like how did she benefit from systems of white supremacy? How was she bought into that and how yeah. she's benefited? I mean, uh, yeah, that was so helpful. And she's a black woman. And it's like, I, I'm lying. If I say I haven't been benefited right. tremendously from white supremacy. And that I don't right. still have internalized things and racism that I'm working out from structures that I've been a part of and things right. that I've learned. So right. I, I guess it's the white fragility coming into play. I mean, that's a whole other topic. Well, I, um, I hate that word for white. Fragility. I know, I know. I say it's conviction coming into play, okay. and nobody okay, we'll likes say that. the feeling of conviction. Okay, and we'll say that. I think yeah. even when I that came out yeah. of my mouth, I yeah, I know. Ah, wow, well, conviction. Yes, yeah. and, and that's part of this. Of conviction. And no, you should not feel convicted about being white. You should be convicted, feel conviction that someone in power decided to use your story as a white person, as a reason to gain more power for themselves. And you should be absolutely upset about that. And secondly, aren't you more than white? Have you ever thought about that? In order to keep the system in place, we had to erase all the other systems. We, we had to erase all the other identities. We had to say, well, you no longer are Irish American. You're just white. You know, you're yeah. no longer because blackness is, is just as varied as whiteness. There's a lot of different kinds of blackness. There's, you That's know, why that book one, yeah. one drop is so 
eye-opening. I mean, I it's I just recommend that book so much. It's super, so super eye-opening because you have a lot of people who pass mm-hmm. for being white who are actually black. Right. You know? Right. right. So it's it's a crazy sort of a thing that we have created here. And we absolutely need to give our kids the benefit of a doubt. And I'm telling you that if you are thinking that your kid has no harbors no racism, I have a child that has the scars to prove it. I have a childhood that has the scars to prove it. And I bet there are a whole bunch of other people. And anyone else who tells me or DMs me about Cameron Owens, you need to know her whole history. First of all, Cameron Owens sued her high Candace. school. Candace. 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 Yeah. Candace Owens yes. sued her high school for discrimination. She aligned herself with the NAACP and she got a lot of attention for that, right? When that attention went away, she started to get attention from white supremacist groups, y'all. And that's where she her camp has laid. She's laid in that camp. And yeah. so when people or just like, well, what about you should you should hear her? I'm like, no, no, no. She should hear me. Yes. I I yes. I know her story. Right. I've been that right. pawn. I don't need to be that pawn again. Mm-hmm. And that is how Trump's able to say I'm not racist because we think that race is just about proximity. Like right. I know a black person. I'm friends right. with a black person. I think that black person's good. Yes, but what do you think about blackness as a whole? Right. Right. Do you also like the black person who is not performing to white standards or normal standards? Mm-hmm. Are you okay with the black person who's walking down the street rapping in your neighborhood mm-hmm. and being loud mm-hmm. as equally as the Ben Carson who might live next door to you? Are you okay if Black Lives Matters? decides to protest on your street or you're going to be out there in your driveway with a gun pointed at them. It's about who you know. It's about how you feel about blackness. Just because yeah. black people vote for you does not mean you're not racist. Absolutely. Or because you're <laughs> married to a black person. Exactly. Or because you have black children that you've have adopted, adopted black and you children. decided that you're going to raise them to be colorblind. Well, what you're saying is you're going to raise them not to know themselves. That's right. Because that's the other camp I've heard a big objection from Uh white parents who ejected or adopted black children are thinking their black children are now going to think we're divided and their parents are racist. But that goes along to all that you've just said. It's it's ridiculous. It's like, no, your your black child is going to feel that pinch of racism, racism, because you cannot always be there to protect them. Right. That's a fact. And because they're going to hear the history, whether you like it or not, or not they're going to know the history. And even if you whitewash it, which we all were raised with a whitewash history, God knows I was, you're going to feel some kind of way when right. all the examples, and we're talking about 8% of all classroom time is spent on slavery. I mean, come on now. When it built so, this country and permeated everything. Uh, so the last thing, because of time, Marcy, are you good to go over yeah. one more objection? Okay. I am. Okay. So this is one I saw a thread of throughout is CRT or critical race theory makes the problem of race seem insolvable. If you're just saying race permeates everything, it's just how America is set up, it's, it's how our system is, it just makes it as it is and it's unsolvable. But that's not what it says. 
Exactly. CRT says that race is plays a factor in some of the laws that have been made. And because it plays a factor in some of the laws that are made, we need to actually look at those laws and do better. It actually says the opposite. Right. Now, critically thinking about race in classrooms and equitable um, outcomes for and solutions, that um, doesn't mean that we just always are going to be racist, just always going to be a problem. What it is is saying, it's like saying a person who has cancer who says, well, I'm always going to have cancer and there's no sense in me going and getting this taken care of because it can't be solved. There's no cure for cancer. Therefore, I'm not going to fight cancer. That's ridiculous. Right. There's a there's no cure for cancer, but we still fight cancer and people live great lives with the knowledge. And the more that you know, the earlier to get you know that the cancer is there, the better that. So if you are really someone who doesn't want to be racist, you absolutely should be someone who wants to know where the cancer is. I mean, again, it goes back to not understanding what it is. I mean, I think the other thing going with parents is they're acting like this is going to be taught to our first, second, third grade, like our little kids. You need to look at the facts of how, what is actually being taught to what age and how. So I think there's just so many myths and misunderstandings with it. No one's teaching CRT. It has not been taught anywhere. It's not a class that you can teach. It's not something that you can just apply. It really is people studying criminal justice, people studying the legal system. That that's right. what it is. Right. It, and my it, daughter's um, had several because she's taken college uh, sociology and law classes. And so she's known about that lens or that right. theory. Yes. So, that, so that's the lens in which, which that is taught. Now, looking at your life critically to see how race has played a role in your life and your existence, how it's played a role in history, how it's played is no different than looking at your Christianity in the same way. Mm-hmm. We have, we, we are fine with a, with a Christian, with taking Christ and putting it literally on every single thing, right? We don't have a problem critically thinking about the Bible. We'll look at, we'll look at a movie and go, and critically theorize that through the lens of our faith, right? But what I'm saying is that that's that's fine and good, but that doesn't mean that that's why that movie was created. You know what I mean? And it doesn't mean that it's actually helpful to the faith. So no one's saying that, no one's saying that. All we're saying is that we can't teach just the one-sided history. It would be like if the only book of the Bible that we allowed was Mark. That's it. Yeah. You you can have the Old Testament and then there's the book of Matthew. That's it. Mm-hmm. We don't get Mark's perspective. We don't get Luke's perspective. We don't get John's perspective. We don't get any other perspectives. We don't get any other way of looking at it. We just get these. Just 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 Matthew. I had someone so upset because someone had given a new believer a copy of just the new Testament. And they're just like, well, it's blasphemy. They need the old Testament too. And it's just like, okay, so you can see that, Mm -hmm. but you can't see that we need history. That's taught from different perspectives that we need to spend more time with what happened to communities of color, that we need to spend more time with what happened to indigenous communities and what happened to the whole Asian community based on Chinese exclusion. Mm -hmm. Right. 
that we we can't understand why we would say build a wall and why we would feel that that was some sort and how hypocritical that is when we think about the Alamo or we think about the whole state of California that used to be Mexico and then we say they can't come in. I'm just saying we we are willing to be critic to think critically about so much else, but we just don't want to do it about race because it doesn't feel good and it feels bad. Well, when we do that too, we also miss all the great stories. We miss all the wonderful stories. We miss all the ways that people rose up against um, unjust injustice. And we only are down to the civil rights movement. People have been pushing against this kind of develop these kind of developments in our country since the beginning, since the very beginning. It's not new. Martin Luther King wasn't the first person to protest something. I mean, that's right. just unbelievable that our kids would think that. And how great would it be for a kid to be in class and learn about Mumbat? So if you're in class and you're learning about slavery, wouldn't it be great for your child to learn about Mumbat, who was a slave? wasn't educated, but she heard her master talking about, she's an enslaved woman. She heard this, these people talking over dinner that she was serving about the Declaration of Independence. And she said, oh my gosh, that means me too. I'm a human being mm-hmm. and sued and won. And we won. talked about her in our, in our Black History, Women's History yeah. Month. Yes. And, and we don't hear, learn that in school. Yeah. And you know, but kids don't know about that. And when kids hear about the Tulsa massacre, it's not just a massacre that they need to hear about. They also need to hear about the Black Wall Street that was happening there, the thriving that was happening there, that reconstruction was working there, that there was this thriving African-American business community that owned banks, they owned their own publishing, like they were able to do all these different things. So so when we decide that we're just not gonna teach a full history, when we decide that we're just not going to teach the the hard stuff, when we decide we're not going to talk about the leprosy, we don't get to talk about the miracles. I don't need to even add anymore. We could keep we could keep talking, Marcy, but I've already know. taken up an hour and forty five minutes yeah. of your time. <laughs> um, I you're just you're so wise, and I just really really you know this, but I love you and I appreciate so much you just giving your time and the truth that you tell. One of the other things that we didn't touch on was the whole, oh, it's it's Marxist or communist, that label. And I'm going to link up. Uh, and, uh, yeah, go for just it. Really, really quick. I want to yeah. say, y'all, they said the same thing about King and there, there are billboards. You can Google them where they yes. put up billboards saying that Dr. King was a communist and that he was a Marxist. So yes, it, it, yes. It's, a, it's a repeat of history. That's exactly right. Because I just, this last weekend listened to, did you ever listen to be the bridge podcast with Jamar Tinsby? Okay. Yeah. Patty told me to listen to that. And I'm like, he goes into that. So spot on to how that, why that even started and why we still see it today. Saying that Marxist or communist today. And Uh um, Billy Graham did a lot of damage there too. Billy Graham used to preach to millions that the the enemy to our faith was communism. And y'all think about that because that's not what the Bible teaches. It's a whole different conversation, but there's a really good, there's a really good PBS special on Billy Graham on American experience. It's about a couple hours long and Mm -hmm. they did a really good job because they didn't present him as 
a hero or a saint, they presented him as a human being. And the one thing that you come away from is you're like, Billy Graham was earnestly seeking God. And he, and yet he got a lot of things wrong. So you can earnestly be seeking God and you can get a lot of things wrong. That's so true. And you and I have done it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And we're still, I mean, I think that's the, that's the problem is thinking we have the mind of God and having it all figured out. No, we Um, don't. Marcy, tell me, I know we'll put the links to all the places you can be found. I know this summer with Mockingbird History Lessons, you're doing movies and with the Black Eyed Bible Study, you're doing a book club. So tell me what's next for, tell me what's next for Black Eyed Bible Study. Um, Black Eyed Bible Study, we are, we are taking a break from the book club. Okay. Um, so it's a, it's a Bible study. It's a weekly Bible study and it's also um, a book club, a monthly book club and a mon- monthly podcast. So we're taking a break for, for the book club for August because it's back to school and Mm -hmm. families got to get things together for going back to school. And, um, we'll come back in September. Shay and I have not thought I'm going to talk some books out to her, but what we do is we read books that are from the past, usually like the seventies, we're in the seventies right now, but basically books that have kind of become a movement in our culture. So we did, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And we did step for wives. So the next book hopefully will be a book that leans that way. And, and I have some ideas when I need to talk it over with Shay. And um, we're in the Beatitudes right now where the Bible study is studying the Beatitudes and what we're doing with the Beatitudes. What I'm trying to do is present a, a black womanist perspective of them a new way of looking at them and we're looking at them in the aramaic language okay. which is significantly different and it's five dollars a month which is it's five dollars a, a month and it's you know you get you get a a, a monthly a, a weekly lift that's our monday list that's just a list of different things mm-hmm. that i'm seeing in the world that are whatever's good true noble excellent worthy of praise just a way to start off the week just with your mind just sort of focused on looking for God in the world and goodness in the world. And even sometimes that goodness comes with difficulty and struggle. And then um, on Wednesdays, you get the Bible study, which is right now it's the Beatitudes. And then once a month, we have a live where we talk about the book. um, And I do a podcast called Object Lessons on that with a friend named Jonathan who just had a baby. So we're, we actually have a special guest in in for him. It's Mariah Humphreys, who's a native American writer Mm -hmm. and theologian. And we basically pick up a object in the Bible, just an object. um, We are amazed at the lessons that we get. So we've done measuring cups, we've done flowers and we're just shocked at how much you can get by just looking at objects in the Bible. And that is all part of when you pay the $5, you get that all on the the platform. You can't go find that podcast on the typical iTunes or whatever. It's all on your Substack platform. It's all private. It's all private. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's well worth it. And it's still not adequate for all the time and knowledge that you get Marcy. So thank you. Thank you for that and all you do and for being here today and for talking to me for so long. Thanks for listening for so long. It's a passionate, I get carried away. 
side with this. And I just want you to know, Andrea, you, you're always saying my wisdom. It's a weird thing because it's like, I feel like maybe my heart has wisdom. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But what I'm talking about isn't wisdom. It's just research. Yeah. It really is. Anyone can know this. It's not something that I thought about and created. It's, it's, you can go to the National Archives and look at a lot of right. these things. So it's it's just because this is my job. I do it full time. So I'm in it right. for the long haul. So just so you guys know, it's this this wisdom, so-called wisdom can okay. be yours too. <laughs> <laughs> wisdom can be yours too. Do your own research and read. And that's it. Don't your just research. listen to what we say. Don't just be a springboard. Go read books. The ones I link up, the ones that are out there, there's so many. And don't just listen to the talking heads on TV or whoever, the things you hear floating around. Like read. It's all yeah. And, and for me, the thing became when I started to have questions about some of the things that I used to read that were definitely more aligned with conservative ideas and traditional ideas. And I started to have relationships with people who were outside of that. And it made me go, OK, how come but this wouldn't work for their life. Like, so then what am I missing and what is wrong with this theology that I'm believing in? And then I started to find other people and to read other stories. So when I started reading other people's story, other people of color, other people, that's when I started to have, and then I started reading other parts of history. So it's like, no one's saying that you have to leave your beloved John Piper, but he's not the only theologian. And I would dare to say that it would benefit you greatly, your faith, to actually look at some other theologians, look at Jamar Tisby, look at some other people who are writing other things. Okay, Marcy, we'll end it there. Thank you okay. so much. Thank you. Y'all, this conversation, we could have kept talking because there's just so much we could dive into about this topic. I really do encourage you, do your own research and reading from credible sources, especially black and brown authors and historians and theologians who may have a different view than your own. If you aren't already a member, I also encourage you to check out and support Marcy's Patreon page, Mockingbird History Lessons, and her new black-eyed Bible study. Links to both can be found in the show notes at herstoryspeaks.com, and you can also find the links to the books and podcasts we mentioned in this episode on the Her Story Speaks website for this episode's page. Finally, if you're a regular listener of this podcast and you've never left a rating or review, can you do me a favor and jump on over to iTunes and leave a review? I really do appreciate your feedback and it helps other people find the podcast more easily.